Hebrews chapter 11. We're going to read this morning verses 1 through 7. Um, we have been in the book of Hebrews now for, I think, 30, 31 sermons. Yep. Um, 31 sermons. And so it has been a delight to walk this far through. And we've come to a point in the book where the author is has issued a warning that you need to stay faithful to the Word of God. And he has issued this warning, and now he is going to talk about what that faith looks like and what that faith is. So, let's dive in together and read the Word and dive right in. Chapter 11, verse 1. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it, the people of old received their commendation. By faith, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God. So that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous. God commending him by accepting his gifts. And through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death. And he was not found because God had taken him. Now, before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please him, for whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. By faith, Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear, constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. And may God add his blessing to the reading and the hearing of his word. So we come to this passage in Hebrews chapter 11 where we, we have read about all these heroes of the faith. They seem like heroes. At, at least in this passage, they seem like heroes. But I want to remind you that these are normal people. These are not superheroes. They're great not because they are great. They're great because their God is great. They're great because the Lord that they serve is great. So I want to remind you of that as we go forward. Remember that Abel was just a man who brought a sacrifice to the Lord. He didn't do anything special. He just obeyed the Lord and did what the Lord said, and his brother murdered him. His Abel's entire purpose in Scripture is to be murdered. That's his claim to fame. What did Abel do? He took a sacrifice before the Lord, he worshipped appropriately, and was murdered for it. That's his claim to fame. Then you've got Enoch, who had said, walked with God, pleased God, and was taken up by God, and was no more. He did not die. His claim to fame was he took a walk. That's it. He didn't do anything amazing. He didn't battle thousands of people. He didn't save 
a mass of people. Then you come to Noah. Noah does this great thing. He builds an ark, a boat, which is probably in Hebrew more like a box. Right? Built a big box, never having seen rain before in his life. Builds a big box, trusts that the Lord is going to send rain. Proclaims the gospel for about a hundred years that the Lord is going to send rain, but he's building a boat to save us. Proclaims that no one listens. Noah's claim to fame is that he was a bad preacher. Just kidding. <laughs> Wanted to see if you were paying attention. Noah proclaims the gospel for about a hundred years and no one listens. And then he, he rides out on a boat. And if you know the rest of the story, after the boat lands, Noah messes everything up. He ends up naked and drunk in a field. And his kids embarrass him. These are not superstars. God didn't pick them for his team because they were what God needed for the team. That's not how it works. They were picked for the team because, precisely because God didn't need them. Precisely because God is so great and majestic that he chose the weak and the lowly and the pitiful. So as we read these things, it's tempting to read them and go, Ah, these men had such faith. You need to remember, they were just like you. Just like you. Wicked, pitiful, and lazy. So, that having been said, I just wanted to remind you that. Let's dive in to uh, verses 1 through 3. So now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. We, we talked about this last week. The wording there is kind of funny. Um, the King James, this is one of those areas where the King James Bible actually nails that second word perfectly. It says, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, and the King James reads, the evidence of things unseen. This is... This is where it nails it. This is one of those rare occasions when I will say that King James nails this Greek translation better. And the reason that every other translator translates it conviction here is because to say evidence or proof doesn't make sense in English. You see, evidence or proof are things you can see. How do you know something is real? Well, I saw it. I see the evidence. But the author of Hebrews is proclaiming this evidence is something that is unseen. This proof is unseen, but it's unseen, but it's absolutely real. And you remember last week I told you that story about sitting across from my boss. And my boss said, you guys see something I can't. And I said, yes, it's right. We see something the world cannot see. That the world cannot grasp without the Holy Spirit's intervention. So we see it. Yeah, it's sad. We see it. You guys need to talk back too, because then we get some dialogue going. It'll be great. Now uh, she got it. Yeah, she's handling it for all of us. It's the evidence of things not seen. And then you've got this next phrase, For by it the people of old received their commendation. The word commendation there being the word martyr. Martyrdom. Or witness. They received their witness. So by this faith that they can't see, but that is evidence, 
that it's obvious they received their witness. So get this, there's these two things that it says about faith. Faith, one, is the assurance of hope. The assurance of hope that there's a better kingdom. So people of faith are looking forward to a better kingdom. It's the first thing they can see. Then the second thing is the evidence of things not seen. They are proof. It is proven out in their lifestyle. So what we're about to read is a bunch of people who proved out faith in the way that they lived. So faith, one, looks forward to something that it hopes for. A better kingdom, a better world, a better life, a better everything. Heaven is better than earth. Heaven is better. So we look forward to that. That's the first thing. The second thing, we have this evidence of things not seen. Our faith drives us to action that proves out what we believe. Proves out what we believe. And then finally, by this faith, we receive our witness or commendation. In other words, the faith proves out in the end to show the witness in that some die for it. And that some walk with God and are taken up no more. And that some go through the floods of life and survive. And that some, and that all who have faith still speak even after death. So, let's dive in to these three men of faith. Uh, a couple important notes. First, it's important to note, faith is not mentioned in any of the stories of the old, in any of these Three stories. In Abel's story, in Enoch's story, or in Noah's story, it never says they had faith. So if you're looking for the word faith in the Old Testament, it doesn't show up until Abraham. These three men exemplify faith without ever talking about it. Right? They show you their faith by what they do. That's the call of the New Testament. Show me what you believe by what you do. Right? So we... So these men show out their, their faith by their life. They teach us about what faith is by their life. All three exemplify salvation or eternal life. If you notice what we read there, Abel still speaks. right? Still speaks, present tense, now. He still speaks even now. And then you've got Enoch who never dies and goes straight to be with the Lord. And then you've got Noah who's saved from the wrath of God with him and eight people on a boat. So you've got these, these people who are saved. They all three exemplify salvation or eternal life. And let's look at them one by one now, starting in verse 4. By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous. God commending him by accepting his gifts, and through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. So there's the first one, Abel. Let's uh, jump back to uh, Genesis chapter 4. If you want to you turn there, you can. Genesis chapter 4, verses 1 through 16. We're just going to look at this story of Abel and Cain. So now Adam, this is Genesis chapter 4, verses 1 through 16. Now Adam knew Eve, his wife, and conceived, and she conceived, and bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. So note first what Eve does. She bears a son 
this should automatically throw your mind back to Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. The seed of the woman will crush the head of the snake. She's thinking, I have gotten a man, I've gotten a seed, an offspring, who will set everything right. She thinks it's done. She's like, yes, this is the Messiah. That's what she's thinking. I have gotten a man by the help of the Lord. She's thinking, this is our Savior, Cain. And again, she bore his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep, and Cain a worker of the ground. Cain's a farmer, Abel has sheep. In the course of time, verse 3, in the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground, and Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and and their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering he had no regard. So Cain was very angry, and his face fell. That's the Hebrew uh, phrasing for Cain was depressed. It says his face fell. Hebrews don't use, the, in a Hebrew language, you don't use words the same way we do. We say things like, he was depressed, and that describes the way he, that, that word is, describes the way he feels. In Hebrew, they use words that describe the way you look, and that's how they de- determine how you feel. Another example is, uh, his nostrils flared. That's what. It, that's the literal translation of he was very angry. Fire shot from his nose is the actual translation of he was furious in the Old Testament. So Hebrew uses these terms. So I want you to imagine his face falling. He's got this joy in him at some level. He's got some confidence in him and he sees that his offering is rejected and his face falls. You've seen these people before. You've seen this on people's face where just their face falls and they lose it and they have, they're just, they're done. Just Everything seems to melt. So, first, his face falls And he was very angry, and the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry, and why has your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door, its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. Cain spoke to Abel, his brother, and when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, Where's Abel, your brother? This should echo back again to when Adam and Eve are hiding in the garden, and the Lord comes in the garden and says, Adam, where are you? He knows exactly where he is. It's not that the Lord doesn't know. He's pointing something out. Where is Abel, your brother? And he said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? And the Lord said, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground, and now you are cursed from the ground, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it shall no longer yield to you its strength. You shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth. Cain said, My punishment is is greater than I can bear. Behold, you have driven me away from the ground. And from the from your face I shall be hidden. I shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth, and whoever finds me will certainly kill me. 
Then the Lord said to him, Not so, if anyone kills Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord put a mark on Cain, lest any who found him should attack him. Then Cain went away from the presence of the Lord and settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden. So Cain here kills his brother, and the Lord, there's a lot to say here, by the way, and we're not going to cover it all, because there's a lot to say in Hebrews 11 too. So we're just going to try to go as brief as possible over this uh, and still get a handle on it. So Cain uh, kills his brother, and there's a lot of hearkening back to the same thing that happened to Adam. Adam, where are you? Cain, where's your brother Abel? Adam says, I hid from you. Cain uh, ends up getting caught. says, I, am I my brother's keeper? I don't know if you noticed, but the Lord's answer is essentially, yes, you are your brother's keeper. So when somebody asks you, am I my brother's keeper, or am I responsible for that person? The answer is yes. Evidently, yeah, you are. You're responsible. So um, Abel brings the first fruit of the ground. Cain brings grain. So there's this question that arises in our head, and it's rightly so. Why did Cain's offering get rejected and Abel's offering get accepted? So there's a couple different ways to think about this. First, it could be their attitudes. Abel's attitude could have been right and Cain's attitude could have been wrong. And you see that in the story unfolds. Abel's attitude is obviously right and Cain's attitude is obviously wrong in that when Abel is accepted, Cain can't say, oh, my brother was accepted, okay, I need to do some things to get accepted too. Like Instead of doing that, he gets angry and mad at his brother. Note, Abel didn't do anything to Cain's sacrifice. Abel didn't do anything to Cain's offering. He didn't do anything to make Cain unacceptable. Abel is not to blame for Cain's lack of acceptance here. So, first, could be attitude. There's an obvious heart issue here. Uh, There's an obvious issue that results in sin towards Abel. Second, could be that it was poor quality. Maybe Proverbs uh, chapter 21 verse 27 says that he will not accept the sacrifices of the, or the offerings of the wicked. So it could have been that the offering itself was poor quality or that Cain had a poor quality in his presentation or offering to the Lord. That could be. But speculation, the Bible doesn't tell us that his offering was of poor quality. It just says he brought the, he brought forth fruit from the ground to give to the Lord. Third, sovereign choice. Sovereign choice is always a good thing to say because no one can argue with you. Well, sovereignty, right? You, it's kind of like a theological cop-out in some places. Right? This is one of them. Why didn't the Lord accept Cain's offering? Because the Lord didn't want to. That's basically what you're saying when you say sovereignty. And the Lord's right. If he doesn't want to, that's fine. He's God. He can do what he wants, and what he does is always right doesn't matter if you think it's right. He is the definition and the definer of what is right. So sovereignty is an acceptable answer. I think there's just more to it. Sovereignty is an acceptable answer. I just think there's more to it. Sovereign choice is always just and right. And you can always use that as an, exam- as an answer for why God does something. Because he's God and he wants to. That's, that's perfectly legitimate. He is God and he does want to. And you need to just... To be clear, if that makes you uncomfortable, you need to get over it. Because he is God, not man. 
And then finally, the last explanation that's often given for Abel's sacrifice being accepted and, and Cain's not is that it's not Cain's was not a blood sacrifice. Cain's was not a blood sacrifice. Cain's sacrifice was grain, and he was bringing it before the Lord. Now, we know there are uh, different sacrifices that, that are brought before the Lord in the, in the Old Testament that involved grain, and that involved uh, goods, that involved those things that were brought before the Lord. But for the sake of atonement, blood was required. So, this was instituted by God, sacrificed, by the way, first, uh, most theologians will, will kind of argue that sacrifice was first instituted by God in the garden when he made for Adam and Eve robes of skin. He killed something to cover them. He killed something in order to cover their nakedness. Beautiful picture of Jesus Christ even there in chapter 3 of Genesis. Somehow, Cain and Abel, here's what's true, somehow Cain and Abel knew that there was something required by God. They knew that God required some sort of offering or sacrifice. That's clear because it says, in the course of time, they brought a sacrifice, they brought an offering before the Lord. So at some point, God explained to them that at this point in time, you need to bring me a sacrifice. And it's highly likely that they told them, that he told them, this needs to be done this way, in this, in this measure, this way, this style. And the reason I'm saying that is because just another book later, he's going to spend 15 chapters outlining specifically how a tent is made. Our God is not ambiguous when he gives instructions about holiness. He's not. He is very, very clear. So we see here um, that this was not a blood sacrifice. So all of those, I, I believe that probably all of those play into this. Attitude, Cain probably had the wrong attitude. He maybe brought something of a poor quality in that his heart was not right and he's not bringing it the appropriate way. There's the sovereign choice of God that God decided to accept Abel's and not Cain's sacrifice. And this is not a blood sacrifice. So he brings it before the Lord and it's not a blood sacrifice. Now, if you want to worship well, you must worship the way that God has called us to worship. If you want to worship well, you must worship the way God has called us to worship. There are numerous stories in Scripture of people adding to the worship commands of God or people worshiping God their way. And I believe that's what's going on in this story. I think Cain is looking at God saying, you know, I know you told me I need a blood sacrifice, but this grain is really great and I made it myself. I did this by my own hands. I cut it down by my own hands. I picked this on my own. My, look at my hands. They're raw. I have labored over this, Lord, and, and it's good enough. This is good for you. This is, this is my offering to you. And he may have even had a song. He may have even done, like, he may have, it may have been beautiful. It may have been incredible. But it was worshiping the Lord his way. Worshiping the Lord the way he wanted to. Worshiping the Lord the way 
that he had decided rather than the way the Lord had commanded. This happens again in Leviticus with Nadab and Abihu when they grab incense uh, incense things, the little, you've seen them, the balls with the chains, and they rock back and forth, and incense goes out. Incense lamps, and they run into the thing with fire before the Lord, and they're, they're caught up in the moment, and they're thinking, this will be great, this is how I'm gonna bring worship to the Lord, I am great, look at me, I'm waving this incense in the air, and God consumes them with fire. It's one of the weirdest stories in the Bible. Because, by all practical purposes, it looked like they were just excited. But God had a specific way that they were supposed to be worshiping Him. And they brought attention to themselves in their own way. And they said, I'm going to do this my way. And God said, no. You are not. So, if you want to worship well, you will worship by the example of Abel and do it the way God has commanded. In Jude chapter 11, I mean in Jude verse 11, it says, Woe to them, for they have gone the way of Cain. And it's talking about people who have become wicked and decided that they're going to institute their own religious systems in their own religious way and not listen to God. Religious people make their own way like Cain. Let's be reminded of a couple things. One, Cain knew God. Cain knew God. Let that sit. This murderer, the first murderer in the Bible who rejects God, who is condemned, this murderer knew God and spoke to him. Like one-on-one. This is somebody who heard the voice of the Lord literally. He's in a field, and God says, Hey, Cain, where's your brother Abel? And he answers him. Cain knew God. This ought to make us tremble a little bit. James chapter 2 speaks a little bit to this, saying even the, even the demons believe, and at least they tremble. Cain knew God and didn't tremble before him until he was condemned. So let that sit on you. Then we read this morning as we opened that Cain had evil deeds. He had evil deeds and Abel's deeds were not evil in 1 John chapter 3. So Cain knew God and Cain even took worship to God. He was a religious man, a good man by all, by all accounts. I mean, granted, there's only two in the story, so it's not much to compare them to. But you got, you got two men and Cain is wicked, and Abel is good. And Abel is good not because Abel is perfect, but for one simple reason. Abel brought a sacrifice before the Lord and did what the Lord told him. Abel's faith in God was obedient to what God had instructed. And as a result, though Abel dies, he still speaks. Though Abel dies, he still speaks, calling out, to everyone from generation to generation, worship the Lord. Though Abel dies, he still speaks. Next in the book of Hebrews, we have Enoch. Enoch, here in verse 3, in verse 5 of Hebrews, says, By faith Enoch 
was taken up so that he should not see death. And he was not found because God had taken him. Now before he was taken, he was commended or witnessed as having pleased God. And without faith it is impossible to please him, for whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. So Enoch walks by faith. He's mentioned, by the way, just in uh, Genesis chapter 5, verses 21 through 24. It's a few short verses. It's, it's half a paragraph. So easy to skip. says, Enoch walked with God so many years, and then he was taken up, and he was no more, for God took him. That's the literal wording. He was no more, for God took him. Can you imagine having a friend who you knew, who lived down the street, who's constantly taking walks? I don't know if Enoch literally walked, like if this is metaphorical, or if he's literally taking walks with the Lord. But I, I tend to think that most of the most spiritual men I know have, have taken walks, so maybe. But he's this guy's down the street from you, you know him, and he's walking with the Lord. One day you walk down to his house, and nothing's there, he's just not there. And you go, where is he? And somebody goes, I don't know, he was talking to God yesterday, and now he's gone. He's talking to God, yeah, he's talking to God. He just didn't come back from his walk. Let's go check on him. You looked around, and you tried to find him, and the only, the only explanation you can come to is this guy was so close to God and so in love with God that he disappeared. How cool is that? How amazing is that? That you are so close to God that you're just gone. Just one day you're walking along and the next day you're just you're home. You're just up in heaven and nobody gets to be the wiser. I uh in our in our little cartoon I illustrated this as him walking and then the next his clothes on the ground. I don't know. I was kind of proud of that, right? Kind of a rapture-like thing. Woo! He's taken up in the middle, right? Like, he's up here, going. Okay, nobody else is impressed. But this is this is kind of how I envision it, right? He walks with God. So Enoch believed God first. Let's let's take a couple um, take a couple lessons from Enoch here. Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death, and he was not found because God had taken him. That's the story. And then he's going to explain it. Now, before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. For whoever draw, whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. So Enoch believed two things. One, that God is God. That's the first thing he believed. God is God. He believed that God exists. God is God. And then two, that God rewards those who seek him. So God is God, and God is in charge of rewards. Again, we've got that vision of faith looking for something greater. Faith that, that rests on something greater, on a hope that is greater. Enoch believed God is God. Second, Enoch walked with God. So in the Bible, we are commanded to walk with the Lord. In Ephesians chapter 2, uh, I mean in chapter 5, verse 2, it says that we walk, Christians walk in love. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7, it says we walk by faith. In Galatians chapter 5, verse 16, it says we walk in the Spirit. The New Testament uses this term walk to talk about a general practice of life, a general pattern of life. And we have this general pattern of life in which we follow the Lord. So how did Enoch walk with God? First, he listened and obeyed. 
That's the first, first way he walked. He listened and obeyed. Second, one who walks with God deals with sin. We see this in 1 John chapter 1, verses 6 through 7, that those who walk with God do not practice sin. They deal with sin directly. They take it out of their life. They deal with it. Finally, walking with God means that you are surrendering to God's direction. 2 John chapter, I mean 2 John verse 6 and 1 John chapter 2 verse 6 talk about this being imitators of Christ. We imitate him surrendering to his direction, following his direction in life. Enoch walked with God by listening, obeying, by dealing with sin, and by surrendering to God's direction. The walk of faith lives in God's presence. The walk of faith is one that lives in God's presence. It is one that is acutely aware of God's presence in its life, and it thereby pleases God obtaining a witness or commendation as pleasing to God. So Abel worshipped right. Enoch walked right. And now you're going to have Noah who works his faith out right. Works his faith out the right way. There is a massive amount in the story of Noah. We're not going to cover it all today. But it's chapter 6 of Genesis all the way through chapter 9. All the way through chapter 9, particularly verse 17, is before he's proven not to be the Messiah. Um, but Noah, who comes before the Lord, if you don't know the story, this is basically it. He's the one righteous person on the earth. Everybody else is wicked. And God says, I'm going to start over with you and your family. Build a box. Rain is coming. And Noah goes, rain? He goes, yeah, it's water from the sky. Like, He's never heard of rain. He's never seen rain. He doesn't know what rain is. And God says, I'm going to make it rain on the earth. 40 days, 40 nights. It's going to flood the whole world. And, uh, and you're going you're gonna to have to deal with it. Um, so I want you to make this big box boat thing. Noah has never seen a boat. Never seen anything like that. Uh, if he has, it's, it was small. Um, doubtful that he did because he lived in land area. He lived in an area where there was land everywhere, not on a coast. He didn't even live near a river. He was away from it. And so he starts building this boat. He takes uh, anywhere from 70 to 100 years to build it. And while he's building the boat, Bible tells us he's proclaiming that God is coming in wrath to all of his neighbors. And they are ignoring him. Rightly so. It sounds crazy. Now let's imagine that you've never seen rain and you don't know what rain is. Never had a flood. The earth is surrounded by some sort of greenhouse effect that causes dew to rise and fall at, at will. It doesn't, it's not raining. It's this uh, humid atmosphere and, and the ground is relatively fertile and easy to, to farm. And then um, there's this crazy guy that's building a big box and he's, he's, filling, he's, he's covering the holes with this pitch all around it, and, and he's, he's telling you, it's going to rain. And people are like, what's rain? And he goes, water is going to fall from the sky. And you go, right. You're crazy. And he goes, it's going to happen. 
I'm building a boat. There's room. And the people go, nah, we're good. We're good over here. And there was constantly, the Bible says there was constantly wickedness on, in the heart of every man on the earth. They heard the message of salvation and rejected it. That's what we have in the story of Noah. That's what we have today. So, Noah works and obeys even though he cannot see it. Even though he can't, he can't imagine the rain, he's never heard of the rain, he doesn't know what rain is, he's never even, he can't even fathom it. He, he works and he builds a boat. And I imagine, I think honestly, he probably hired people to help him build the boat. Can you imagine being hired to help build a boat for a crazy man that's telling you everything's going to flood and you're all going to die? For 70 years. Maybe 100 years. In between 70 and 100 years is about how much people tend to estimate that it took. Built this massive boat, and then one day, suddenly, animals start showing up. How weird is that? Just tons of animals start showing up, getting in the boat, as if directed by God, because they are. And just walk right in, Noah gets in the boat, and then it says what? God closed the door. How creepy is that? Noah didn't even close the door. God closes the door and seals him in. Then it starts to rain. It says the waters of the earth broke forth. There's all kinds of scientific explanations as to how and why this could happen. It's not irrational. Though it sounds crazy, it's really not. It's very easy to research this. The waters of the deep explode forth and suddenly it starts pouring rain for the first time ever. And there is a mass flood. Noah obeyed the Lord even though he could not see what was coming, even though he could not handle what it was, he obeyed the Lord. Second Peter chapter 2, verse 5, we know that Noah was preaching and telling people about this because he, he calls him the herald of righteousness. He was calling people to repent and trust the Lord. So, we have Abel who worships well, we have Enoch who walks well, and we have Noah who works well, all in their faith. And in Noah's working well, he turns his back on the world and the things of the world to trust in a hope that is ahead of him. You've got to imagine, at some point, Noah hammering something into place 50 years in and thinking to himself, what am I doing? And having to remind himself yet again, God told me this is going to happen. Told me it's going to happen. 60 years in, he's hammering something in. I imagine hammering something in. Hits his finger. Ah! And in frustration, what am I doing? Building this big, dumb box. I don't even know what rain is. Keep telling my neighbors, they, my neighbor just filed an injunction against me that I can't go over to his house anymore because I keep talking about the rain. <laughs> this, this keeps happening and happening. And he has to labor and labor. And his faith looks crazy. Christian, listen, our faith looks crazy. 
looks nuts when you when you look at the world and the world goes, well, why don't you just spend all your money now on yourself? Why don't you just spend all your money now on yourself? Who cares about being a good person? You're just going to die. Why don't you just waste all your time and just go travel. Go spend all your money on yourself. Go go buy buy whatever you want. Just lavish life. Who cares if you die in debt? And we look at them and we go, but there are principles of living for the soul that have eternal implications. And we want to use our money and our finances and our time to make eternal wealth. And our God calls us to that. So we again stand before the world as Noah working out our faith in fear and trembling and looking crazy, knowing that the rain is coming. And sometimes I believe that Noah got frustrated and hit his finger with a hammer or had to yell at his son to get up off his rear and go do the work that he told him to do. I didn't tell you to bring that that wrench. I told you to bring this other wrench. He, he tells him things. I can imagine those things happening and him going, what am I doing? And having to remind himself over and over and over again, God is coming. God is faithful. God is just. Listen, Christian, God is coming. God is faithful. God is just. He will return. And we are awaiting that return. We look for something better than this life. And that's where we are, looking for something better than this life.